0: Every time that I am up here and I am going to speak, and I know before I am going to speak, it becomes very clear to me that I am no different than you. And I feel that very distinctly when I am putting together what I am going to say and reading from the Scriptures, the section that it has um, been given to me, or that I have volunteered for, whatever it happens to be, whatever the case is. And like Greg said a few weeks ago, I always pray that the Holy Spirit will impress upon me something that He wants us to hear. And I believe that He does that. <clears throat> and it seems like every time that He does that, He's speaking to me. And it's like, wow, <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you, but God was speaking to me. Now I'm suspicious that our human experience is probably common enough that some of the things that he was teaching me, maybe he wants to share with you as well. But as we go through this morning, you're welcome to listen along as I go through some of the lessons that I think God is trying to teach me, and maybe you will hear something as well. I always have two goals whenever I am up here. I try to keep it simple, and I can count to two, I have two goals. Number one is that we see a clear picture of who God is. Because I truly believe the more clearly I, the more clearly you, see who God is, the more we will be drawn to Him. So if you have a picture of God that is not drawing you, I challenge you to get to know the God of the Bible because I bet if you know him better, he will draw you. And number two, that you hear something practical that can be applied to your life today. So I hope that happens. Mark 9 is where we are. You're welcome to open your Bible if you have it or pull out your Bible, whatever it is that gets you to Mark 9. And we have been in Mark for a while. And as Megan points out, we are going to be in Mark for a while, but that's good. The first part of Mark was all about believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And the second part is in line with that, but also that he was the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. Mark 9, verses 14 through 29 is where we are going to be reading. When they returned, excuse me, I don't talk a whole lot in the job I have right now. So I need to warm up a little bit, I guess. I don't know. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. Now let's pause just a minute. Do you remember where we left off last week? Um, Often referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus, and they had been up on the mountain. And they had heard God's voice again. They had seen Moses and Elijah. So that's where we are. They saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. Them are the other disciples, the other nine. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet Him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When he saw, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. Murmur ran through the crowd as people said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. What a contrast. Peter, James, and John had just spent the night in the presence of citizens of heaven. I don't know if you can put yourself in their shoes for just a little bit. In the presence of God himself, they were eyewitnesses to a living Moses and Elijah, the two most important and honored and revered people to the Jews, alive, as if stepping from the pages of an Israelite history book. What an experience. It's no wonder that Peter wanted to memorialize the event by building three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Perhaps he hoped to return to this very spot and experience seeing Moses and Elijah again. As they came down the mountain, they seemed to be descending literally from heaven into hell. Heaven where God's laws of freedom bring joy, back to the realities of this world where Satan's control, Is too often exhibited in pain, suffering, and death. In a brief space of time, Peter, James, and John had seen the extremes of humanity. In one case, man elevated into the image of God, and in the other, degraded into the image of Satan. Point number one this world isn't heaven. Now, I know that doesn't seem very profound. (laughs) After all, so often we experience evidence to the fact that we are not in heaven yet. With too much regularity, jobs are lost, friends are hurt, loved ones die. But sometimes the evidence isn't as clear. We We can confuse sin as heaven. There are things that look so exciting, enticing, and even fulfilling. So maybe we do need reminded that this world isn't heaven. Because consequences aren't always immediate, we can lose sight of the fact that living outside of God's will inevitably results in disappointment, loss, and pain. But there is also a lot of beauty in this world we can still see evidence of the joy that God intended for us to experience in his creation. Friendships bring us happiness. Relationships can bring us love. New babies, where is that new baby? Can bring us joy. (laughs) Haven't seen that baby. It's a rumor. I don't know. (laughs) But aren't we tempted to create our own little heaven here on earth? Like Peter, we want to stay on the mountaintop trying to keep ourselves, as much as possible, isolated from the pains of life? I believe God, however, is calling us to something different. are we called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who, in announcing His ministry that Sabbath in His hometown of Nazareth, quoted Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. We aren't called to live on the mountaintop. So who is this God? He's the God who didn't stay isolated in His perfect heavenly home. He descended into the valley to bring us relief. That's what happened when Jesus was born, a human into our world, and that's what Jesus continued to do all throughout his life. <clears throat> and that's what Jesus is doing here, meeting that father and son at their place of need, meeting them in their pain. I believe he still does that for you and me. That father that we just witnessed, who just witnessed, the inability of the disciples to heal a son, he may be hearing the Pharisees' opinions ringing in his ears that this Jesus is an imposter, As Jesus asks him about his son, the father concludes his sad tale by pleading with Jesus, Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Verse 23 What is Jesus' response? What do you mean if I can? Jesus asks, Anything is possible if a person believes. Belief, that's a heavy word. What does it mean to believe in something? or someone? How do we reach the place where we believe? So I want to get a little interactive for a minute. I want to remind you that Compass is a safe place where people are free to belong, grow, and serve. So feel safe here. But I would like several of you to tell me something or someone, doesn't matter what it is, something that you believe in. I see a hand. Go ahead. I believe in God. Believe in God. I believe that God has our best interest. Believe. I believe in the comforter. Okay. Now, I love these many profound statements, but they don't even have to be profound. I just want something that you believe in. I mean, if it's profound, that's awesome. But Okay. Liberty. Okay. Marriage. Marriage. Yep. Okay. A lot of things, and many of you I know were thinking of things, even if you did not say them aloud, that you said you believed in. <clears throat> I'm going to ask two more questions. You may answer either one of those, and it may be one that has already spoken or somebody else about a belief that you didn't even talk about. But I want you to answer this. Why do you believe in whatever it was, and how do you know that you really believe that? And maybe it's the last one that I want to concentrate on the most. How do you know you really believe, and you can finish with whatever you might believe in? Now, we're still a safe place. Okay. I Okay. So now I'm going to get a little more personal, and maybe you have to be a little more brave, but I want a volunteer. <clears throat> I want a volunteer of someone who believes that they can trust me. <laughs> wow! That was fast. All right. Grace, you were the first hand that I saw. So I want you to, yeah, stand right there for just a moment because I need to get something that is encouraging that she feels she can believe her uncle. Trust her uncle. We'll see in a minute, won't we? <laughs> right. Now I'm going to explain it first so that you are fully aware <clears throat> and can make a conscious decision of what you're going to do. Now, in a minute, I've got a hole that I've pre-cut, but I've taped it up. But a minute, I'm going to cut that hole open. Oh, before I do that, I'm going to blindfold you. (laughs) Then I'm going to cut the hole open, and I'm going to have you come up here, and I want you to stick your hand in there and tell me what's in there. You still good with that? (laughs) All right. Come on up. Now, you don't have to be totally blind. You can still see some light, and that'll be okay, because the box is dark. It's going to be fun getting your hair out of that, isn't it? All right. Are you fairly covered up? Yes. You can hold it with your left hand if you want in a minute, but just stand right there. I'm getting it ready. Always have a pocket knife. All right, so take your right hand, and you can feel the hole. Mm -hmm. All right, go ahead, and I'll let you decide. And it's a pretty deep box, so you might have to reach all the way to the bottom. (laughs) It's a pretty deep box. (laughs) It's a bag. Yes. Didn't you read what was on the box? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to let you take off your mask here. Or maybe I can do it. Now, as you're taking, and you can pull it out, that's yours. All of You can sit down. Thank you. Give her a hand. I'll admit, there was not a live animal in there. <laughs> Did Grace believe? How do you know that she believed she could trust me? She came up here and stuck her arm in that dark box, didn't she? So I want you to hold that thought. So here we find the father at a crisis of belief. What does he really believe? Going back to verse 23 again, What do you mean I can, Jesus asked? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father must have had some faith. After all, he had brought his son for Jesus to heal. But after the pitiful failure of the disciples to cast out the demon, his belief was probably just about gone. Both the father and disciples were in a bit of a faith crisis. I want to share a little quote from a book by George Knight exploring Mark about this situation. And it should be the next slide there. Perhaps the main miracle that day was not the healing of the boy, but the restoring of the father's faith. As James Edwards points out, Jesus can expel demonic forces at a word, but the evoking of faith is a much harder matter. Verse 24, the Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How does Jesus respond to the Father's last fragment of faith? How does God respond to our last ounce of faith? In Matthew 17, 20, he told us about how much faith we needed to have. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed... You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 25, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to speak and hear, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. The spirit screamed through the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. boy appeared to be dead. Murmur ran through the crowd as people said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. That's good news for me, and that's good news for you. Again, a quote from George Knight. Jesus always meets us where we are. He doesn't demand perfect faith before he acts on our belief. Rather, he honors us in our weakness by responding to our partial and even broken-down faith. There is a wideness in God's mercy that extends down to you and me as he gives us not what we deserve, but what we need. That is grace. Point number two. Belief may not truly come until after we step out in faith. Consider this thought. Belief and faith are actions. You and I were convinced that Grace believed she could trust me. She took the actions. She stepped forward. She was rewarded, by the way. I don't know what you may be facing Maybe you're fearful of something. Maybe you're not believing that you have enough belief or faith to step out. Remember that prayer of the Father, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. But how do I develop even that mustard seed worth of faith so that I can take that first step? I think there are two answers to that. Number one, spend time in God's Word. I want you to consider for a moment the method God used when He created this world. How was this world created? What did God do? He spoke. He spoke, and then there it was. Genesis 1 3. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Psalms 33 6. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. There is power in God's Word. You and I can connect to that power. Read His words. Spending time in God's Word is one of the keys to be connected to His power. But there's another key ingredient. Back to our story in verse 28. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked Him, Why? Couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this can be cast out only by prayer. Prayer, talking with God as you would to a friend. Prayer is that second key ingredient. Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Psalms 145, 18. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. Luke 18:1. 1. 1. day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Remember the story about the persistent widow? That was Jesus' illustration. Don't quit praying. Don't give up. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an inert mind and a thankful heart. Now, this same Jesus, who healed the sick, cast out demons, calmed the storm, is alive today, and his power is not weakened. I don't know how God's Word has power. I don't know how prayer works, but I know it does, because I've experienced it in my life. Point number three. In Christ is all the spiritual power we will ever need. He will never reject your cry for help. First Peter 5.7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Psalm 55.22, give your burdens to the Lord, he will take care of you. Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. So what have we learned, or what did I learn this week and maybe you heard as I talked about what I learned this week? Number one, this world isn't heaven. Don't trade eternity for the trinkets of this world. God has called us to come down off that mountain. Point number two, belief may not truly come until after we step out in faith. Ask God to help your unbelief. Take that first step. Point number three, in Christ is all the spiritual power we will ever need. Spending time with God in the Bible, talking with him, connects us to that source of power. That point in the middle, the point, number two is really the point. Belief may not truly come until after we step out in faith. So maybe the Holy Spirit has been nudging you with something in the last few months, but you haven't taken that step. So my prayer is that this week we take that step. Lord, I heard several people witness this morning that as they walked through life, their faith and belief was strengthened because they saw that you came through to them and with them and for them. Help us to realize that all it takes is just that little seed of faith or that little seed of hope that maybe you are real, maybe you are right, God. And I believe that if we take that step forward, that you will also honor us and build our faith. Bless us today. Bless us in this new week. In your name, amen.